Welcome to St. Martin Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. The first book of Samuel in the Old Testament begins with Israel longing for leadership and Hannah longing for a child. And just a couple of chapters in, we get the magnificent Hannah's song that proclaims the triumph of the lowly and the taking down of the mighty. Then if you skip ahead to Luke's Gospel, it begins with Israel longing for deliverance from the Romans and the announcement of the arrival of a child, Jesus. And then when she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, she sings what we today call the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. And if you've just a few moments ago read Hannah's song at the beginning of 1 Samuel, you think, hang on, it's the same. She's borrowed it. The New Testament is just plagiarism of the Old Testament. What's going on? It's a scandal. Someone should be told. But that would be to miss the point. The point is that the writer of Luke's Gospel knows how the first book of Samuel begins and wants the reader to think, ah, this was the great resurgence of Israel in the Old Testament that led eventually to the kingdom of David. This is now the renaissance of Israel that's going to be lead to the emergence of the son of David, Jesus. So that's what's going on in the writing of these famous words, my soul magnifies uh, the Lord that we've just heard. And historically in the life of the church, uh, this song has been a kind of manifesto, a kind of manifesto of transformation of God's turning the world upside down. The biggest irony, uh, probably, in the liturgy of the Church of England is that this song has tended to be sung in some of the most magnificent cathedrals and colleges of this country, and this song is all about turfing out the mighty from their seats and upholding the lowly and meek, although the lowly and meek almost never get to hear it in the places in which it's most commonly sung to the mighty. There's something to think about. So uh, it's our tradition here at, uh, at Great Sacred Music to start with a hymn that we all sing because we've been so inspired by what the voices have sung to us, we can't help and we can't talk about the Magnificat with one, without wanting to sing ourselves. So we're going to do exactly that. If you'd like to take your sheets, you'll find on the inside, for Mary, Mother of Our Lord, John Raphael Pisi, it was a fascinating man. He served as a lieutenant in France during the First World War, receiving the Military Cross while at Selwyn College. After the war in Cambridge, he played first-class cricket. He then became headmaster at Bishop Cotton School in Simla in India in the late 20s and 30s and then he became principal of Bishop's College, Calcutta uh, from 1935 to 45. Then he came home and the crown of his career was becoming canon of Bristol Cathedral. Why do I say that? Because I come from Bristol myself. The five of his hymns were pub first published in 100 Hymns for Today, the supplement to Hymns Ancient and Modern published in 1969, including Filled with the Spirit's Power, which you might know, and this hymn, for Mary, Mother of our Lord. We're going to remain seated. The voices will stand and sing it as we join together.
Well, Mary's a controversial uh, figure in the church, particularly in the contemporary church, most uh, partly because Catholics pray to Mary and Protestants make a point of not doing so, uh, but also about whether she represents a, a type of a woman that women today should aspire to or not. It's often pointed out that she seems quite submissive uh, when Gabriel comes and says, Hail Mary, to her. But it, uh, it's less often pointed out that when she goes to see her, uh, her cousin Elizabeth, she's quite the opposite of submissive. She's incredibly assertive and, and, and strong in the, in the way she sings this song. But uh, who wants balance in contemporary controversy? It's terribly out of fashion, isn't it? Um, and one part uh, in Mary's story that's often neglected is in the first miracle of Jesus in John's Gospel, where, when uh, she, they are both present at the wedding at Cana, Mary is very brusque with Jesus, uh, and she, uh, she demands that he sort out the situation uh, with the shortage of wine, which is curious because there hasn't been a miracle yet in John's Gospel, and so we're led to assume that she didn't know that Jesus did miracles for toffee. Uh, 
and, and so it's a, it's a curious incident that somehow her intercession, her pleading, led to him transforming uh, the scarcity of the wedding into abundance. And, and of course, that, that's, in a sense, why people pray to Mary, because of the effect that she had on Jesus at, at Cana, and they hope it will be replicated. Now we're going to hear a setting of a Hail Mary, uh, and a much older version, and a much more contemporary magnificent.
Well, uh, one of the pa paradoxes about Mary is why was she chosen? Was she chosen because she was an outstanding individual and therefore choosing her, her to be the mother of the Lord was an affirmation of her general outstandingness, her virtue? Or was she chosen precisely because she was simply an ordinary young girl and it could be any of us uh, who could have been chosen just like her because there was a certain randomness because she represents humanity as a whole? Well, that's been one of the great dividing points between Protestantism and Catholicism for 500 years. Catholics tend to take the view that she was chosen because she was so wonderful, hence the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary turned out, who knew, that, that, that she was born by a virgin birth, not just Jesus, that, that, um, that Anne and, and Joachim, her parents, well, we won't bring Joachim into it too much, but she was con conceived much the same way Jesus was. That's the Catholic view. The Protestant view is that she's just like one of us, could have been, could have been anybody. Anyway, uh, one other thing to reflect about, about the two pieces we're just about to hear, is uh, if you were here last week, you'd have heard we were talking a lot about Vivaldi. Well, we're going to hear a piece of Vivaldi's Magnificat as the second piece in just a moment. What's fascinating about this piece is because he wrote it for the orphans of the Pieta in Venice around about 1715 so that they could sing and uh, the rich of Venice could come and uh, pay to hear them sing. That's to say it was a social enterprise. He raised money for the orphanage by teaching the children to sing. The original version of this Magnificat was just for upper voices. It was only rewritten, I think, in the 1930s uh, to include lower voices. The original version was just for upper voices because he was just dealing with boys under the age of 13, after, they, after that they went off to get apprenticeships, uh, and, and girls who stayed singing till a little bit later. So there's a fascinating note about the music you're just about to hear.
Well, it's uh, time for us to sing together again now, and we're going to sing the, by far the most famous uh, metrical setting of uh, the Magnificat, Timothy Dudley Smith's uh, words, Tell Out My Soul. It was actually the first hymn he ever wrote in 1966. There were plenty more where that came from, and he chose to set it to the tune Woodlands, which had been written back in 1916 by Walter Greatorex. Walter Greatorex, uh, probably a largely forgotten character today, but he taught uh, Benjamin Britten, W.H. Auden, and Lennox Barclay at Gresham's school in Norfolk. And in fact, W.H. Auden uh, used to say that even the great Albert Schweitzer, uh, uh, the one who wrote On the Edge of the Primeval Forest, who uh, worked as a doctor in Lamborghini in Gabon, West Africa, for 40 odd years, or no, 60 I think odd years later, but in, in his time had been the greatest organist uh, in Europe. Even Albert Schweitzer uh, played the organ no better than Walter Greatorex. So uh, we're going to remain seated, the voices stand and lead us as we sing Tell Out My Soul. <laughs> towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. I hope 
uh, you've enjoyed yourself, if you have. There are all sorts of different ways to give to St. Martin's. Uh, you can text, you can go on the website, you can swipe your card on a card reader machine as you leave, and there's an opportunity to leave cash if you use cash uh, uh, as you leave also. It's all appreciated to enable us to keep this great tradition going for many years to come. Uh, do look out for next uh, week's great sacred music, Be Thou My Vision. We're going to finish with something completely different, uh, which is the same in theme, that's to say, Hail Holy Queen, the Salve Regina, uh, but from the film Sister Act. Uh, Sister Act is a 1992 American comedy film star starring Whoopi Goldberg as a singer forced to join a convent after being placed in a witness protection program. Really, it's a, a vehicle for an awful lot of people uh, doing chase scenes in nuns' outfits, and it doesn't get better than that. Uh, the Salve Regina is, a, is an authentic uh, piece of Catholic liturgy, traditionally sung at Compline uh, in the time from the Saturday before Trinity Sunday until the Friday before the first Sunday of Advent, so for a good six months of the year. So it's a, a valid piece of music, but you ain't never heard it sung like this before. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>